Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Anyway, I dare you, Siri. See, I dare you, series. I dare you! I dare you. Is there anything more sort of just put your blood up? So, yeah, 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 I'll do it. I don't care where it is. I don't care. I'll do it. I'll do it. I can jump. I remember we were uh, driving. The uh, first time I ever went anywhere with uh, Pastor Kevin and Cheryl, we were driving in Iceland and we passed these mountains. And Kevin said, Oh, their mountains are huge. I said, I'm and he said, how long would it take you to get up there, James? Ten, ten minutes. I could get up and down in ten minutes. He goes, no, you couldn't. I said, yeah, I could. He says, I dare you. I said, stop the car, I'll do it. They, they didn't stop it because they knew I would. But uh, <laughs> I've thought about that on so many occasions. I could have really have done it. I was pretty, I could have done it. <laughs> could have done it, definitely. I was pretty fit at the time. <laughs> it would have taken me ten minutes to get to the bottom, but there we go. <laughs> but yeah. This is the idea of your series. We're, we're, this is a, a series that is looking on stepping out of the comfortable, pushing your limits. Whatever your familiar is, we're going to go into uncharted territories. You know, it's when you, it's when you really sort of stretch yourself, when you sort of challenge your resolve. That's when your capacity as a person sort of increases. When you, when you feel as if, like, I'm going to stretch forth for something that I've never stretched forth before, that's when you become bigger on the inside. That's where you begin to be able to carry more. It's like if you're, if you're sitting on the sofa and the remote is just too far away and your bum is welded to the sofa and you have to lean and one of the cheeks comes off and you get it. It's like you are enlarged in that. I have the power, the dominion over the television. You know what I mean? I tell you, no more Netflix. I cancel Netflix. <laughs> By the power of God. <laughs> so we're gonna we're, this this whole, <laughs> this whole series. We're gonna be we're gonna be challenging status quo. We're gonna be challenging all of the familiar. We're looking for fresh pastures for exploring new horizons. And uh, I want to uh, tell you a challenge that I had as a as a as a young person, as a as a child. Now I'm the oldest of three brothers. And it is the prerogative. Do we have any older, older brothers in the house? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not many. So this will be news to you all. It is the prerogative of older brothers to set challenges to younger brothers. Because they are measuring up to you. You don't measure up to them. I measure up to them now because they're both bigger than me. But, but that's okay. We can't fight anymore. It's illegal. <laughs> but but I used to, we used to set challenges all the time. We were always sort of egging each other on. And I remember this one time. We would have been, I maybe was 10 other brother would be eight, youngest brother would be six. And it was the first day of the summer holidays. It was, uh, it was like a half day. So we got off that half day and we were told, yeah, we're going to, uh, to the big sort of country park. Oh, awesome. That's the greatest way to start a holiday ever. It's for your dad's work summer do. I'm not so sure about that. And we went to Camperdown Park and there was a big marquee and it was a bit of a barbecue. There was lots of people wearing shirts. It was a little bit awkward, but there was three of us, so it's okay. You can make your own fun. And... Uh, we all got sort of called into this marquee and we're standing there. It's hot because it's a nice summer day, uh, amazingly. And this guy gets up there and just starts talking. And he is just drivel. Just, no, 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 I can't say this. No, 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 trending upwards. And it was like so boring. And it's hot. And we just said, I mean, I can imagine it now from being the parent, but I can imagine we were so restless. And it was probably like a, they were, like, come on, settle down, guys. And in the end, they said, just go outside. It doesn't matter if you get taken by strangers. Just go outside. It doesn't matter. Just go outside. So we stand outside, 
And <laughs> we look over, and there, just right where we're standing, is the uh, power box, the generator, that's powering the, the, you know, so the audio system, the, the microphone and the, uh, uh, all the loudspeakers and everything, which we're like just literally on the other side. And we're looking at each other, and we say to each other, you know, I dare you to go and do it. I dare you go and turn it off. And my middle brother, Stuart, who if you met him today, you would think he was like the most sane one of the lot of us. It's just a front. He is the most, he's, he's a lunatic. Uh, and he, so we all sort of went, we all shuffled over together as a group. And we stood next, it was ne- right next to a tree. And we all sort of covered it over. And Stuart just snuck around, turned it off. And we all ran like, like 10 feet away. I mean, it was, there was nobody in the vicinity. And we just stand there and you just hear all this, <laughs> inside. And <laughs> nobody has a clue what's going on. And uh, this man, this, uh, uh, comes out and he, looks, <laughs> he goes over. And he looks at the thing and he sees that it's turned off. And he sees 10 feet away, three boys. <laughs> and he's just, I could just see him now. He's looking like that. The fact we were all just standing there looking at him as well, he's like, nah, it couldn't be that simple. <laughs> we just look at him and then he turns it on and it works. And he just stands there and they continue. But the thing, it didn't go on for very much longer. And, and I don't know why, as boys like to brag, but we, we told our parents about it on the way home because we were so proud of ourselves. And my parents were actually kind of proud of us too because they said it was so boring. <laughs> I thought my dad was kind of mad, which was sort of part of the excitement of it. But he was like, no, no, it's all right. <laughs> we don't mind. <laughs> so that was it. But what that kind of, uh, the point of that story was, you know what, there's always a bit of a crowd. There was three of us. There was me and my brothers. There was three of us. We were standing around. We were a little bit of a crowd. But it really was only one of us that turned it off. It was only my brother, Stuart, that turned it off. And, and really, it takes, there's usually only one person who's fully committed in a crowd. You know what this? It takes full commitment. You can stand around, you can egg each other on, but it takes the one who's willing to take the dive, willing to take the dare to actually turn it off. You can be a crowd. It's great to be a crowd. It's great to be in a crowd that supports something great, but it takes the ones with the commitment to actually push through. So I'm going to read from you from uh, Luke 14, verse 25 uh, onwards. I'm going to stop and start a little bit throughout this, because this really sort of is, uh, as I work through this verse, uh, as this sort of passage of scripture, we're uh, unfold something for you. So, Luke 14, 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and child, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, that was Jesus laying forth the challenge of what it required. What it required. He had a crowd. He had so many followers. He probably had hundreds, thousands of people following him. They all wanted to be a disciple. They all wanted to be in that in crowd. They all wanted to get the extra stuff that they knew the disciples got, the followers uh, of of Jesus got. And, And... he turned to them and, and, he, and he laid it out. Now, it's funny because if he, uh, there's actually in, in Matthew 10, when he's talking to his disciples about almost exactly the same, language, uh, same subject, his language sort of softens quite considerably. He, he says in Matthew 10, verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And it's 
you know, it's, it's one of those group dynamics. If you have a small group, if you're on an individual basis, you can be more nuanced in your explanation. You can be, you can more allow a little bit more sort of uh, explanation. It doesn't need to necessarily be sort of black and white. But when you're talking to a crowd, when you're talking to thousands of people and they're all like, oh yeah, I want to, they're all they're frenzied up. You have to paint things in black and white. You have to make them absolutely crystal clear. You need to make that point of commitment so stark in contrast that it leaves zero doubt in anybody's mind and so that's why he uses sort of quite uh, antagonistic language that, 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 that sort of those sentiments to try and provoke a response because he's, he's trying to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff those people who are fully committed and those people who have doubts within them but his sentiment his sentiment is not one of exclusion because we know Jesus and, and he does not seek to disqualify anybody at all and if you think about it like this, there's this, he says you cannot be my disciple. And there's two kinds of cannot. There's the cannot that you go to a restaurant. And you turn up to the restaurant and the host stands at the door and says, you cannot come in. And you say, why not? Of course I can come in. You don't want me to come in. But then he says, well, actually, you can't come in because you're a jumbo jet. And you realize that there's a different kind of cannot. It's not that you cannot because he doesn't want you there. It's a cannot because you literally cannot. And the cannot of, uh, of being a disciple, of putting other things, of prioritizing anything before that calling, anything before that pull, it, it just means that you cannot step over that threshold. You cannot walk into what God has got. It's, it's not that he doesn't want you to. It's not that he would rather you didn't. It's not that he was trying to get rid of the crowd. He was just saying, this is what it takes. Don't fool yourself. This is what it takes to be my disciple. See, Jesus revealed that the call of God upon someone cannot be realized if you're competing with divided loyalties. If, there's, if, you're, if you have priorities, then he is, he's challenging those priorities. And not, we have these philosophical properties. Uh, pro, oh, no, I can't say it now. <laughs> priorities. We have these ones, these sort of ones that we kind of imagine, these ones that we like to tell people about. But, but there are actually our actual agenda. And our actual agenda is what compels the direction of our life. It's what determines where we go and what we do. It's not what we think is nice and sweet. It's what our actual allegiance is on the inside. And if you want to walk with God, that does not mean that you take God on your journey. He does not come on your journey. You submit your journey and you follow his path. And that is where the call for commitment comes. See, our, our, lives, are, our lives are often not very simple they're, they're, they're usually quite complex they're not generally colored in blacks and whites we, we will make sweeping statements about ourselves about our principles about our values uh, about our ambitions uh, and integrity is really the measure by how which how much our words are reflected in our actions it's it's how much those two things align uh, but i think often those things are rooted in situational convenience it's like we have ambitions, we have principles, we have values that are true given the right circumstances, given the right conditions. Like a flower, it will grow if the weather's good. It's sort of fair weather. Uh, and likewise, we will grow in virtue, assuming that the circumstances are not too taxing. Uh, I heard about this, uh, this research that was uh, carried out recently uh, that kind of talks on this. It was, it was this research that centred on uh, the supporters for Barack Obama, the, the supporters that helped him get, the, the volunteers, the people who volunteered to help him get elected. And, and 
what it found with many of these uh, supporters that they went and sort of surveyed afterwards was that by supporting this sort of progressive social uh, sort of action, it actually sort of justified much more questionable ideologies they had, much more questionable beliefs, actually quite contrary beliefs. In fact, in a lot of instances, or a lot of instances of those that they found, somewhat racist beliefs. And, and actually, that by, there was this, I, there was this uh, theology that, that by, by sort of committing yourself to something virtuous, that it entitles you to live somewhat unvirtuously. Uh, and they call it moral licensing. Uh, moral licensing, where, where you are allowed, you, it's like you allow yourself. Because I've done something good, I'm allowed to do something bad. And there's all sorts of instances throughout, uh, well, we can probably think of many of them ourselves, uh, but you go through uh, various things in history and you'll find these tokens, tokenism. You find these people that are uh, uh, held up in sort of great example. There was that film uh, a few years ago, uh, 12 Years a Slave, and it was this idea of this slave who was, uh, and he escaped slavery and he was a wonderful uh, musician and it was sort of the story of his life. But he was, he was an exception to the rule. He was, able to, he was able to sort of get out of that life, not because of the virtue of the people around him, but because he had a gift. He was a token. Uh, and actually it wasn't for many, many years that that sort of uh, uh, behaviours and those practices were, were, were taken out of society and frowned upon and not seen to be uh, right. Uh, tokenism returns us, it, it's sort of a return to our unvirtuous ways. When, when, we, when we put forward a token, we put forward an offering, it, it allows us, it entitles us, it justifies us to, to go back to our old ways. Uh, and that's why a token is an exception, it's not the rule. It's not the rule of your life. And, and Jesus was cautioning the people around him that, Becoming a disciple was, was not just a token of their affection. Mm. They, they loved him. They followed him. They thought he was amazing. Mm. But to become a disciple, that can't just be a token of your affection. Yeah. It can't just be a token. And the same is true with us. You cannot be a follower if you still plan to lead the dance. You cannot be committed to a relationship if you still have one eye on the door. Yeah. A discipleship requires dying to yourself. That's what it says, dying to yourself, uh, yielding of your self sort of motivations, your self-centered existence. And that's where the crux of the matter is because that requires a cost. That, that, that incurs a cost. When you, when you yield that, it's fine to say, it's fine to put tokens for it, it's fine to lay sacrifices out, but the rubber hits the road when you yield of yourself, when you die to yourself because that... That represents a cost. I'm going to continue reading uh, from Luke 14, uh, 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone will see it and will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples." 
We find in this world, and you, you might find this in yourself, you might find this trend within yourself, but we are increasingly sort of competing in a, in a crowded marketplace. It, there was a time where we used to, there was this idea that we would, you know, that, 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 that faiths would struggle against one another. You'd be like, that, 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 you know, to sort of win the hearts of people. But, but the battle is now a battle of convenience. It's a battle where people's convenience of their time, of their effort, the convenience of a doctrine... The convenience of how much it fits into somebody's life fits into the convenience of what they would like to do. It's so much a battle of convenience. I was going to just limit it to time, but time is really just, it's a measure of convenience. See, we're, and, and we're often, I often feel like there's this sense that you are pressurized when you're speaking to people, when you're speaking and trying to share a faith with them, is that, that you're pressured to offer the lowest price, like to discount the cost. Try and discount it. We have to ask ourselves, are we selling a cheap salvation? Is this a cheap salvation in which we're selling? Because if it is a cheap salvation that you are bringing to people, then then you have been fooled by a false economy. You've been fooled by it because you are weighing the cost of obedience, the cost that it requires of obedience of one's life against the gratification of base desires. That's that's the comparison that you're making, and that that is not a true comparison. I'll give an example. Uh, if you were to take a flight, if you were to go on an aeroplane, and as you got onto the aeroplane, the stewardess handed you a parachute. She said, I want you to put that on, and I don't want you to take that off for the entire flight. But she didn't give it to anybody else. So you sit down on the aeroplane, put this parachute on. I've never put a parachute on. I'm pretty sure it's uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable most of the time on airplanes. I don't think they're very, they're not very pleasant. I mean, I've never done first class. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that, I, might, I might have different things to say, but certainly in the seats that I've sat, it's not salubrious. Uh, and <laughs> I think putting on a parachute would be even worse. And so imagine you're flying to New York. You'd be like halfway there. Would you even make it halfway there before you took it off? You've not been given any reason to put this thing on. Why would you keep this thing on? Nobody else has got one on. And so the more uncomfortable, the more it ceases to be convenient to put it on, you'll undo the buckle, you'll undo the strap, and by the time you get halfway, halfway there at most, it's sitting on the floor underneath you. Now, if the stewardess told you when she gave you the parachute, by the way, two-thirds of the way there, the plane's going to crash, you're going to need that. Pretty sure you wouldn't be taking it off pretty sure you would understand the repercussions of taking off that thing that is going to save your life. You'd be looking around and rather than thinking, man alive, all these people, look, they don't even have to wear parachutes. You'd be thinking, man alive, I can't believe I'm the only one who's got a parachute. I can't believe I've got a parachute. You've got to explain the cost. If you remove the cost, if you discount the cost, then why be uncomfortable? When we're, in a, when we're in a marketplace of convenience, it's not even comfortable. Yeah. It's not about comfortable. Yeah. Comfortable is not the point. Yeah. Life, yeah. death, salvation, yeah. that is the point. Yeah. We, without appreciating the cost, you are destined to end up spiritually bankrupt. Yeah. Bankrupt. I was thinking about this. To almost finish the race, to almost finish a race, it's not a lesser kind of victory. It's a more gut-wrenching failure. Yeah. It's a more gut-wrenching failure. It's not, it's, oh, I almost had victory. It's like, oh, I almost had victory. Yeah. I was so close. 
And that's what the previous scripture was talking about, about almost getting there and not counting the cost. If you do not count the cost, how will you press on? How will you know what the, what the repercussions of victory or the repercussions of failure? Why would you ever push yourself to the limit? It says, just to finish off the scripture, it says in Luke 14, 34 to 35, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That journey of salvation that we are on, that journey of salvation that that we hope to start in the lives of people around us, it requires a diligence. It requires a a purposed and deliberate intention to pursue God. It can't be fanciful. It can't even be based on convenience or comfort. We have to be mindful of navigating the pitfalls of distractions of competing distractions, of things that want to take away your time, take away your attention, that want to split your focus, that want to say, isn't going to church once a month good enough? I'm still getting my fix, right? It's all about that compromise. That is what you have to battle against. That is why there has to be a diligence. There has to be a presence of mind of what you are fighting for. Our primary allegiance is to God. A primary allegiance. That is, this whole scripture is talking about have your allegiance. Have a mind and a heart and a life that follows after God. And it is not born out of insecurity. It's not born out of insecurity. The observance of Christ is often characterized by, by people who don't understand. Uh, sometimes people who are very close to us as being sort of like a, like a delusion, like a, like a coping mechanism. I, I know that my, uh, my father has often thought that. It's like my father is not saved yet. But but he's thought, I don't understand this thing. It must just be a coping mechanism. I want to tell you today, Christ is not my crutch. Christ is not my crutch because you only need crutches if you are sick. You only need a crutch if you're lame. And you know what? God has not brought me into anything to be sick and lame. It says in John 10, 10, Jesus came that we may have life and we may have it full. In Colossians 2, 10, it says, in Christ we have been bought to fullness. We are complete in Christ. Christ is not my crutch. Christ is not my crutch. Christ is my redeemer. Christ makes me whole. Christ makes me complete. Christ makes me a better version than I could ever have made of myself. Christ is my fulfillment. And when I dedicate my life to him, when I bring my life into alignment with his purposes and his plans, it brings me into a place of fullness and completion. See, Christ when we come to him, he, he, he unveils within us this, this overarching understanding that all of the prosperity that we desire actually comes by putting him first. Mm-hmm. By putting him before else, everything else. Discipleship, in, in that beginning part of scripture, it sounded as if discipleship was about neglecting those around you. It is quite the opposite. You will never benefit. You will never be able to provide. You will never be able to give all that your people around you need physically, emotionally, spiritually without Christ in the middle of your life. It is the way that you will essentially cover them, complete them, build into their lives. You will never be able to find a better way. It is not about dividing your attention from them. It is about coming to a place where you are able to give everything that you would never able to give just in yourself. There is, there is a trickle-down effect from being a disciple. 
There's a trickle-down effect. What God places on the inside is not just to stay on the inside. It is to burst forth like a fountain and cascade over the lives of the people around you. When we place Christ on the throne, everything else comes into alignment. Can I have somebody up on the keys, please? Being dedicated to Christ is, is the greatest security you will ever know. It is the greatest security. I've, we often sort of, we often think of sort of independent choices that sort of best characterizing liberty. That we have, you know, the fact that we have choices, the fact that we are able to make decisions, that's, that's the, that is what really sort of you know, defines liberty. It actually isn't. The, the, the independent thoughts that we have are totally biased. They're completely biased. They're biased towards a nature of destruction, a nature of, of wickedness. Any decision we make is actually tarnished. Anything that comes from ourselves is not independent at all because the Bible says you serve one master or you serve the other. You don't even have this. That choice is often made. That choice is made at birth. We need to make a new choice. It needs to be a choice that sits somebody else on the, uh, on the throne. Our liberty is founded upon no longer being bound by that dysfunction. That is what liberty is. Liberty is when that dysfunction that is in our life is not what defines us any longer. There might still be stuff that's messed up with you. But you know what? You are, you are built up in Christ. When you have a foundation that is built on Christ, then that is no longer what defines you. It is that. Because it is that that builds you upwards. It is that that builds you into all that you have been called to be. And so... That daily realization of God, that, that mindfulness of God. When, when we think about grace, we think about grace, when we think about what it is to serve God, what it is to, to follow Him, we often think, well, grace is, grace is that sort of that oil that, that greases the wheel. I can partly dedicate what I'm doing in my life to God because grace will cover up the rest this is what grace isn't really for grace is not so that we can be unruly children that get pulled up off the floor every day grace is about giving us that little bit of extra resolve that we need when all of the resolve that we have is tapped out when all of the resolve when all of the discipline when all of the 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 mindfulness has been pushed to the limits of who we are God's grace says, there you go. I will get you over the hump. In your humanity, you can only go so far. You will only get so far. And God's grace is there to get us over that hump, to get us into that place of fulfillment, to take us to that point of victory, not to pull us dragging and kicking and trying to go the other way. That is what a child does. We've not been called to be children. We are children of God, but he expects us to mature. There is a maturity that happens on the inside. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.